0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Build Podcast. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner here at OpenView. OpenView is a venture capital firm based in Boston and we invest exclusively in B2B expansion stage software companies. In this season of Build, I've been interviewing different leaders from top SaaS companies about the first 100 days pertaining to some major change or pivot within their organization. And today, we have Alex Schutman, who is the CEO of Workfront, a company in OpenView's portfolio. Prior to joining Workfront, Alex was the president of FTO, prior to that Eloqua, and he's also held executive positions with Vignette, BMC Software, and IBM. Incredibly successful career. Hello, Alex.
1: Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Very good. Thanks for joining us. So Alex, you joined Workfront as CEO in 2016. Correct. Um, and at that time, uh, the business had, was already quite large. You had north of, of 500 employees. The company had already raised its E-Round. How many cu- customers did you, did you have at that point?
1: We had about 3,000 customers at that point.
0: 3,000. Wow. Impressive. So by all means, a very successful task business.
1: It was a real, it's a real company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, at that point, you know, it seemed like Workfront needed a real sort of boost to get to that next hurdle of growth, and and you were brought in as the experienced growth stage CEO that could really take the business to the next level given your track record with companies like Aptio and Eloqua. So, for the purposes of today's podcast, I would love to talk about the first 100 days mm-hmm. at Workfront as the CEO because I'm sure this was a really exciting time, but I'm sure mm-hmm. it's stressful and I think it would be a great story to to tell. Yeah. In the weeks leading up to your start date, what was your what was your game plan? What were the key objectives that you wanted to achieve when you when you stepped into the role?
1: Before I started, I created a startup plan. It actually says workfront startup plan. Mm-hmm. And it had several elements in it. You know, so the first element was a, a set of things that I called reviews, where I wanted to look at what's the as is situation, what are the targets, what are the issues. And so there were There were eight things in there. You know, what is the financial situation? What is, you know, what's on the income statement, the balance sheet, cash flow? How do we budget? How do we report? How does revenue generation work? You know, how do we do forecasting? What are, what do, how do we acquire new logos? What's our average sales price? I, I wanted to go through products. What are the titles, the pricing, the performance, the roadmap? I wanted to understand the customer base you know what's what does attrition look like what does satisfaction look like usage look like how do we do reporting what metrics do we look at how, what's the board management look like you know the content the scheduling from a people perspective what's our hiring and recruiting and comp and benefits and you know if we have any surveys what do those look like and and then kind of some major processes i wanted to understand like basics on how do we do our bookkeeping You know, what does demand generation to close look like? Our customer life cycle. What does the product development life cycle look like? So there there was a set of things that I just wanted to understand, if you will, that were functional areas of the business. And then I, I wanted to understand organizations. You know going through the dozen or so major organizations and looking at their structure their recent accomplishments, you know what their current plans were, how they measured themselves, and so those would be things you'd expect like sales marketing, customer success services finance and then I really wanted to I would say the 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 last piece that I really focused on was. Time allocation. You know, if you think about it, time is your greatest weapon that you have in a in a kind of role like I have. And so I really I actually scheduled out the first hundred days. I, I completely scheduled it out with, you know, our all hands meetings, customer travel, travel to each of our locations, analyst meetings, ton of round tables. But that was another thing that was important to me was to not get trapped at headquarters in the first hundred days, but make sure that I had been in customer offices, that I'd been in our other you know, other locations. So, you know, Devin, I actually, I'm sure there's a lot of things that were missing from it, but going into the first hundred days, I had created for myself at least what I thought was a fairly scripted startup plan.
0: And had you learned that from previous instances where you had stepped into this type of role, or was this advice given to you, or was I just saying-
1: called? I called every, I called a dozen CEOs. Said, you know, what 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 should I pay attention to? And from all of that, I kind of amalgamated this, you know, kind of homegrown startup plan, if you will. And then I sent it to various people. I sent it to our board, you know, uh, to our investors. Hey, here's my startup plan. Like, tell me what I'm missing. And it got better you know through that interaction interaction with you know with our board and so to a certain extent that also allowed me to have them in the boat with me so they knew what I would know and wouldn't know after the first 100 days
0: and so how much of that information you said you wanted to sort of understand the financials and the the content the people the processes how much of that did you gather in the interview process Versus, okay, these are the things that I really need to focus on because I'm not, I'm not quite sure what we do in this area post-starting.
1: Well, you know, what I've learned, in this is now the fourth company I've been in this size. And what I've learned is that the devil, in, in, in really executing well, the devil is in the detail right? Mm -hmm. So you can say, hey, do we have a product dev cycle? Yeah, every company's got a product dev cycle, right? But when you start getting into, okay, what is product marketing doing? What is their function? What's the talent that's in there? How do they describe the product? How do we think about our epics and our stories? And how do we think about that in this quarter and next quarter. And so I think that you can get a general view that says, for example, what does our development lifecycle look like? Or what does our pipeline management process look like in the interview? But to be able to execute well, the reality is is at a level of detail. And you're just not going to know that until you get in and start doing it.
0: Right, until you're, you're in the seat and spending time with the people in the teams.
1: I had a coach once tell me, Alex, you cannot learn to swim in the front yard. And so <laughs> I think that the interview process is like being in the front yard and kind of asking people, yelling to people over the house what it's like in the pool. Yep,
0: just got to get in that diving board and, and jump in. You know, it sounds like you had some real milestones that you wanted to accomplish in that, in that first 100 days and i'm i'm sure you spent a lot of time with the senior leadership initially mm-hmm. how did you handle being the quote unquote you know outsider coming into a business that that those executives may have been sort of building for years how did you how did you handle that that situation
1: well i sent them a letter so i started on july 1st and i sent them a letter on june 21st so a little less than 2 weeks before i started and I was really upfront in that letter. And in that letter, I said to the team, I am wide open to learning a lot of things, to getting input and advice and opinions, but I have 10 items that are non-negotiable, right? So I, so I kind of upfront, I set an expectation that said, look, there are 10 things about a software business that are non-negotiable for me. They were things like, number one, was culture, eat strategy, and customers sign the paycheck. Mm. Number two was we will have one set of metrics in the revenue engine, right? Be- there won't be a marketing pipeline and a sales pipeline. We will have a product vision that is from storytelling. We will have excellent frontline. Ma- so I kind of walked through some things, you know, senior team. The senior team is the first team. That is the first team you work for. So I walked through some things that said, basically, I'm open to many, many things for you to tell me about the business and tell me about what we should do. But there are 10 things that I don't just have a, pre- a prejudice on, I have a conviction on and we're going to do. And I think, that was ho- I think that was a helpful set of boundaries. Yeah, I agree. And
0: then what was, what was the response to
1: that? The response to that was predictable. It was a scramble both to prove that they were doing that and scramble to get educated on what did I mean by that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that you learn in this role, and and, uh, uh, this is meant with humility, not arrogance, is what you pay attention to other people get fascinated by. And so you Mm -hmm. have to be really conscious about the things that you're going to pay attention to, and that they are things that create great work and great pride in, in in the organization and in the company and great outcomes for the customers and great outcomes for the investors. And so I think being really conscious early on about the kind of things that you're paying attention to, because you've got about, you really have got about two or three months to set a tone and, and then you're done. And if, you, and if you're not conscious that you are tone setting, I'll get, let me give you an example of things that you just don't even think will impact a company. We had a three-hour product review session, and it happened to run over lunch. So we brought pizza in, and I finished eating my pizza, and it was on a paper plate, and I did what you and I would normally do. I picked up my plate, and I walked around the table, and I kind of like, are you done with your plate? And I put some plates in the trash, and I didn't think about it. It's like, this is my house. I clean up. That was was my attitude. Came out of the meeting and was talking to our head of uh, engineering, Steve Zobel. And he said, Alex, you have no idea what you did in that meeting. I was like, Steve, man, I'm so sorry. Like, what did I screw up? He goes, he (laughs) goes, no, what you did when you stood up and grabbed other people's paper plates and threw it away, you sent a message that was so loud about, kind of how you think about the company. And that's all that my team talked to me about. And I thought to mm. myself, the smallest, thing, the smallest. So, so, you know, you're just this with both your senior team and the company, you are tone setting a hundred percent of the time. And so you better know what tone you want to set. And I think me writing down to them, the 10 non-negotiable items that I have coming in was, Important from a tone setting perspective.
0: And so I love that example. I think from a trust building standpoint, Demonstrating that you know you're not above, you're not above picking up your paper plate and throwing it away. This is a team.
1: But then we did some things on purpose. So for so as I said, you know the, you, when you when you start inculcating values in a company, you can only do do it by making believable, observable sacrifices. Of which there's really only four that we can. And a sacrifice is a choice of one thing over another, right? We can choose how we spend our time, our money, our ego, our previous values. So you know I I start with non-negotiable number one. Customers sign our our paycheck. Well, one of the first things that I did is I changed the name of every conference room in the company to be named after a customer. And we put Mm. a plaque in the conference room that was when they became a customer and what their use case was. And it it made people mad because they're like, we're on the second floor. Our conference rooms are named after rock songs. And we're on the third floor. And they're named after places. And I was like, well, you don't get to choose that. Because I want every time you go in a meeting, I want you to think about a customer. And so there there were some things kind of purposefully that we did as well to point to these non point the company to the non-negotiables.
0: What was the area of the business that needed the most attention or change, in your opinion, in order to really drive that growth and and take take the company to the next level? And how did you broach that?
1: Yeah, it really was. And this was known through the interviewing process. It was our long term strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were at a crossroads where there were really three, probably three different directions that we could take as a company. And we needed to do it fairly quickly. So the conundrum was, okay, you're a brand new CEO. How could you possibly lead the company? In a strategic direction that they would support because they would believe that you had context. So I think that was, you know, I think that was probably one of the biggest challenges early on is to make that decision quickly and to make that decision in such a way that the that the company could get behind it. Got it.
0: So it was really sort of at a strategic level. Mm-hmm. And how, and how did you, I mean, this is, it's a big loaded question, but, Mm -hmm. but how did you build that trust and how did you sort of quickly get in there and, and demonstrate to them that you, that you did understand the business Mm -hmm. and that you had a vision and that this was the right vision for the company? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, there were a couple things, you know, uh, first of all, one of the things that's fortunate is given my background, you know, I grew up in, in sales, given my background, my instinct was to get on a plane. And so the reality is within about 90 days, I actually had acquired an authoritative voice of what the customer needed and wanted. Not Mm. perfect, and clearly it's gotten better over the last two years, but because I had that scheduled time of investment that said, I will go sit in a customer's offices and listen to them, I was able to speak in all hands meetings and talk you know with a customer voice, so that helped a lot. But then we did something that turned out to be a great decision, and we kind of stumbled into it a little bit. But what we did is we picked. 27 people. And and I'd call them the pride builders of the organization. They were people that people knew who they were. And it didn't really matter what level they were. So like, they could be a first line customer success manager or an engineering manager, but they were people that people in the company really knew and respected. And we created three teams because our mascots are lion. Instead of calling them a tiger team, we called them a liger team. <laughs> also in honor of my next door neighbor who he and his wife wrote Napoleon Dynamite. But what we did is we chartered these three teams and it was almost like the old book, you know, kind of choose your adventure book, right? Mm-hmm. Which was you kind of get halfway through and, and you've got to project what the outcome might be. And we took those three teams and we took the three different strategic directions that we could make as a company and we assigned one of the directions to those teams and we gave them, I think it was six weeks to create a board-ready presentation. What's the TAM? Who are the competitors? What's our product strength and weakness? What's our go-to-market strength and weakness? What actions would we have to take as a company? So we gave them this this kind of framework and they were cross-functional teams, and we gave them time to work on it. And then we had an entire day where they presented to the senior team. And then we took a decision. Then we went away as a senior team and took a, a decision. And then we came back to the company and we explained to the company how we had arrived at the decision that we you know that we made. But that was that was I, I had to do it that way. Even though I kind of already leaned in a direction, I might have been wrong. And so I needed to make sure that I heard voices to keep me from making a bad decision. And then it also created some authority within the company because we were speaking with a voice of 27 people that they respected.
0: Yeah. So the 27 people they respected combined with you, you know, getting on the road and having many, many conversations with customers really just kind of built that that platform of trust. It and I would like. say
1: the third thing is when I was in front of customers, I would, I would say to the customers, so oh, my team tells me you do this with our product. And they would say, well, not really, but let me explain to you what we do with your product. And I heard that so many times that we, you know, we charted a project by our product marketing team where the only thing they did is they went into our customer base And they asked the question, what is the job you hired our product to do? And it turned out 83% of our, now it's 4,000 customers, but our 3,000 customers at the time had hired our product to do one or more of five jobs. And so we also had that authority to be able to come back to the company and say, look, our direction is not something that, that we pulled out of the air. Our direction is a combination of these 27 smart people and the voice of our customer, and it is that it is upon that that we are making this strategic decision. It's not up upon you know the uh, wisdom of a CEO coming in and saying, "Thou shalt go in this direction."
0: So, I'm sure you spent a great deal of time in the interview process, getting to know different board members mm-hmm. prior to ultimately receiving your your offer to join mm-hmm. a CEO. What was your communication like with your board members in the first 100 days? I know Susan Carstensen was mm-hmm. a longtime forefront board member, and she had played the interim role of CEO prior to your starting. But you know, What was the communication like with all board members, with her, and how did that, that handoff process work out?
1: Well, Susan was awesome. I mean, uh, uh, Susan left the day I arrived, mm. you know, so that uh, she did not actually show up for my first day. Out. So on my first day we had an all hands meeting and Susan did not show up to introduce me. Actually, to introduce me, we chose Scott Johnson, who is the founder of the company and still the chairman, you know, still the chairman of the board. So Scott introduced me to the company. Susan wasn't there. We had an all hands meeting. And so the the transition was was immediate like within
0: and that was I'm assuming intentional oh, I mean that yeah. that uh, make a statement
1: yeah it was it was an intentional decision between Susan and myself to basically say Susan doesn't exist anymore and so obviously that took a you know a humble ego on Susan's part which I certainly you know appreciated and and, and it took some planning on you know on her and my part and then in terms of the board members we've just got a great relationship with you know with the board there's people speak their mind they they've got strong opinions i mean you all know scott scott actually doesn't sit on the board because there's there's people that sit in the open view seats on the board but what was great is scott has seen so many things i called scott up and scott had not been attending board meetings i said scott man, I just would appreciate it if you'd come to the board meetings yeah. and be a resource for my management team to help them see things that they might not see. And so we've interacted really openly. You know, my view with the board is there are fans and they want us to be successful. And as a result, we owe them hundred percent of the truth, hundred percent of the time. So, you know, bad news travels fast with the board because our view is, they want us to win. So like, why are we going to keep bad news from them? Because, you know, stuff breaks and we got to fix it and we're all big kids. And so um, I just, I would say the, the flow of information with the board members was fantastic. I talked to them. I scheduled basically, I went to each board member and said, how do you like to communicate? Do you like something on the calendar? Do you like to me to just call you informally? And, and I would say for the first two or three months, I just, you know, the ones that like a scheduled call. It was on my calendar. Mm -hmm. The ones that just said, call me on your way to work. I just called them on the way to work. And then, you know, and then once we got to know each other, that that uh, you know, all that kind of slowed down. But I I would just say more than anything, we set an expectation with the management team, which was these are these are not our (laughs) adversaries, they are our biggest fans, and we are going to go into every conversation with them telling them 100% of the truth that we know in the business.
0: I love that. Very smart. So you have it's now been a couple years. Mm -hmm. You have been the CEO. I know Workfront has been incredibly successful Mm -hmm. in recent years. But looking back to Mm -hmm. that first 100 days, you you mentioned, you know, I didn't do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you did it pretty damn well. But what would you do differently? Is there anything that you look back and you're like, ah, I should have done that in the first few months?
1: I think that... You know, my biggest mistakes have have been in do, trying to do too much too fast. You know, we've got a really clear view of where we're trying to go. I've got a great sense of impatience because I think that we can be one of the next really important software companies on the planet. And, and I say that just from sitting in customers' offices and listening to what they say they do with our software. And I just think that I think that I didn't take enough time To understand the uniqueness, you know, of the people and the, and the culture, both in our company and in the geography. You remember, I moved to Salt Lake City. So this was a brand new geography for me to live in. I had only been here twice in my life and I tried to be sensitive to learning things about the new geography and, and what values might exist because of that new geography. But I think Devin, you know, my biggest mistakes were all in trying to go 100 miles an hour from the start on everything that I thought we needed to impact the company kind of all at once, as opposed to being thoughtful on the sequencing that probably ought to really occur.
0: Mm, Got it. So you kind of wish you had maybe taken a a little bit of a slower pace in certain areas just to fully digest uh, the scenarios?
1: Well, and what what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. Our compound annual growth rate in the enterprise segment is way higher than in the SMB segment, but we grew up in the SMB segment. And so we immediately said, we should target the enterprise segment, right? And so we hire a new head of sales who's got an enterprise background. and, And I look at that head of sales and I say, Carl, go get us in the enterprise, and so call goes and runs to the enterprise, but we didn't take into, the, into account the amount of change that would have to happen in marketing to be able to target the enterprise. So we had, we had a company that was out of sequence, if you will, in terms of the rate and pace that one function was pursuing a direction versus the rate and pace that another function was pursuing a direction. So that's what I mean by sequencing in terms yeah. of... You know, if, if we had understood a little bit better the amount of change that needed to go through marketing to really support an enterprise sales motion, we might have moved a little bit slower in some of the change in sales so that we didn't have the sales approach outstripping the marketing approach. So when I say sequencing, what I mean is I could have done a better job in understanding the readiness of each function to adapt to the new strategy of the company. And then by, by doing that, making sure that we were sequencing each function effectively. For example, we were just barely putting a customer success management function in place. Well, if we don't have a customer success management function, um, you know, then what do we really expect out of the account management organization versus uh, what could we expect if we ultimately got an excellent customer success management organization in place?
0: I got it. So it's almost like every every little change that you make or even big change to what a f- what impact does that have on other organizations within the company? And are they prepared for that change? Kind of really thinking that through.
1: You know, and I think the, I think the, my first two years of my degree in university was biology before I realized that that wasn't going to work because I wasn't smart enough for that. But, you know, a software company is a biological organism. And so there's no part of any function that you take an action upon that doesn't impact another function. And so that's what I mean by sequencing that says, like, how how do you make sure that when you're driving the company in a direction that you understand a strategy change in one function and either the impact that it has on another function or the readiness that the other function has to accept the change that's happening in the first function?
0: Yeah, very, very intricate. And that's that's actually super interesting. And it leads me to my next question. So to wrap up our podcast mm-hmm. today, I threw in some fun questions for you, Alex. Mm-hmm. And the first one was really centered around, you know, you're, you've had this great, successful career as an executive, as a CEO of highly successful businesses. Mm-hmm. I can guess, based on what you were trying to get your major in in college, what you were thinking you were originally going to be. But what did you want to be when you, were, when you were a kid?
1: No, well, because it wasn't even that. So when I was in college, I was going to go to naval flight school. And so I, uh, intended to go to Naval flight school and, and go to Pensacola and, and I tore my knee playing basketball about eight weeks, six weeks before graduation. Oh God! And I went into, and I was in conversations with the Navy about the requirements and all this. And, and I went into the Navy and they said, well, you can't fly jets, but you could drive a boat. And I said, well, I actually just really thought that your jets were cool and I don't really want to drive a boat. I wanted to fly a jet. And they said, well, sorry. And so then I needed to get a job. And so and I hadn't done any interviewing at all. And I was on campus at the University of Texas in crutches and a cast. And I'm about to walk into an interview with Coca-Cola, which is a fantastic organization. And I'm sitting on a park bench talking to a guy named Jack Thomas, who happened to be on campus. And we're getting along really well. And he hands me his card as I'm walking into my Coca-Cola interview. And, and he's with the IBM Corporation, which was one of the great jobs you could get when I was coming out of college. And he said, well, we're kind of interested in talking to you, Alex. And so I ended up starting to meet with IBM and got offered a job by IBM. But that was my route to high tech. It was not planned.
0: Got it. Wow. That's a really interesting story. And obviously an unfortunate set of events with injuring yourself while playing basketball, but it seems like it sent you on a different path completely.
1: And the other thing that was great is, you know, I, I, I met my wife in college and I would like to think that we would have stayed together if I had gone off, you know, for eight years flying jets. Who knows if that would have happened or hadn't happened, but we've now been together for almost 30 years. And I think, you know, if I hadn't blown out my knee, maybe that wouldn't happen. So the gift of my wife of 30 years, I also attribute to blowing out my knee.
0: (laughs) My next question for you, Alex, Mm -hmm. is, you know, we've been doing this podcast now really centered around for our first season, at least the first Mm -hmm. 100 days around Mm -hmm. some change or milestone within a business. Would love to hear from you is there someone that we should reach out to? Is there someone that we should be uh, interviewing in this type of uh, in this type of way? Mm-hmm. Who would you want to hear from?
1: Yeah, you know, and it it might not be a first hundred days because he was the founder, right? But I because I kind of grew up on the sales side of the house, I always love hearing from product people, you know. And I, as a customer, I got to know. Jeff, who's the CEO of Twilio, when he when he was a customer of Eloqua, but you know, I just think that's such a fascinating company, the the kind of product that they created and how it gets embedded with developers, and their go to market model was so you know was so different, and you know, so he's the kind of guy that I'd love to hear some of the questions that you asked me, but it wouldn't necessarily be kind of first hundred days because he's a He's a founder, but for me, what's interesting is just their business model is so different from things that I'm used to. And he comes at things from a product point of view instead of from, you know, from a sales and marketing point of view.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Maybe it could be first ten thousand days on the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a great company. It's certainly one that a lot of our portfolio companies admire in terms of their go-to-market strategy, and obviously, they're product capabilities. So I like it. I'm up to the challenge. I'm going to see if Jeff will uh, entertain the idea. Okay. So this has been incredibly interesting today. I've loved speaking with you. Congratulations on a successful career and the great work that you've done with uh, Workfront.
1: Well, thanks a lot. And if I would just leave one thought for anybody that's in their first hundred days or taking a role like this is just give yourself a lot of grace. I mean, we're all in these roles because we're perfectionists and we're, com- and we're competitive. Uh, but man, you're just going to screw a bunch of stuff up and you just got to give yourself a lot of grace on that and realize that, that it's just a huge learning curve. So Devin, thanks a lot. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to do this. And I just want to thank OpenView. Y'all are a great partner for me as a CEO and also for my leadership team. You've got a ton of great content that we use quite a bit in terms of just trying to understand how we operate.
0: Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, we would love a five-star rating. Um, And outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on our lab's website. You can consume this content directly on the site, or you can follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that gets sent out to over a hundred thousand SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Thanks and until next time.